You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. I don't know if any of you have large families, but I sure do. Uh, My two older sisters have between both of them eight kids. So as you can imagine, when the entire family gets together, it's no small thing especially when you add uh, 11 kids ranging from 13 all the way down to almost five months old, thinking they rule the roost and they're running around crazy and like madmen. And then that's just the kids because then you got to add in the adults who for the most part think that they're big kids themselves. And just to clarify, I I don't think that way. Very mature, very level-headed, you know, as a student pastor, I'm I'm, I'm right there. But no, I mean, we have a great time as a family. And the thing about my family is that while we've grown bigger and we even live in different cities, instead of growing further apart, we've actually grown closer together. And that closeness has allowed us to walk through or or to experience some, some great times, but it's also allowed us to overcome some various struggles. And last fall, we faced one of those struggles when a bully put a note in my niece's locker. And when my niece opened up that letter, she read, and I quote, you were such a fat and ugly girl. You should be ashamed to step outside the door. And while my niece was deeply wounded, and as you can only imagine, beginning to let those questions flutter mind of who would do such a thing, and is this true? What was pretty amazing to see was how my family responded when we got that news. Instead of just going, well, kids these days, they'll learn, you know, they got to take lumps, and this will toughen her up, and she'll forget about these things as she grows up. We sent her text of notes of encouragement reminding who and whose she was. We called her up that next day and the day after and just to see how her day was going and if everything was better. We prayed for her and you better believe if they'd allowed two brother-in-laws to sit in the classroom, which I could have used it and learned some things again, uh, you better believe though we would have done it. But another really cool thing happened that same day There was a young freshman girl who saw my niece come into the lunchroom crying and not knowing why she was crying, uh, she decided to write a note to her encouraging her and letting her know that she was made in the image of God and if she ever wanted uh, to talk, she was there. Here was a peer of my niece's who walked through the same hallways, who probably had problems of her own, instead of just going, well, she'll get over this. I don't really care about why she's crying. She decided, I'm going to jump into the mess. I'm, I'm, I'm there for, I'm willing to carry the burden with her. And, and maybe some of you can relate to what our family walked through, but even on a greater scale, you've walked through a sickness or a death in your family, and you've seen how your family has been responded and rallied around one another and lifted that burden. But I know that there are some here that day that you may not have this type of family. And while you may not see this in your biological family, please hear me, you should absolutely see, the, see this in the greater family that you are a part of. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, which is the family of God, the church. And what we're going to see this morning is that gospel relationships are marked by how we love and care for our other members. After all, this is what Jesus says in John 13, 34 through 35, when he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That fall day, no one could ever question if we were family because it was very evident how my family responded and how we encouraged her and and lifted my niece up. And in the same way, no one should ever be able to question how close the family of God is because it should be very evident in our actions and how we love one another. But sadly, the Galatian Christians had somehow missed this. They had allowed dissension to enter the ranks, whether this was from doctrinal issues and one person picking one side and another picking the other, or maybe just this attitude of holier than thou. They allowed this dissension to enter. We're not exactly sure what it was, but we do know that pride had gotten the best of them. And you better believe If we're not careful, we will be just like the Galatians that will let pride creep in. And that pride always wants to destroy unity, always wants to destroy what gospel relationships should be about and be centered around. So Paul addresses this issue of gospel relationships. So with that said, if you have your Bible, open it with me to Galatians 6. Um, We're going to be looking at the first five verses. And while you're making your way there, I want us to make sure that we don't miss while we're reading it what kind of Paul is is uttering throughout the text. He doesn't come out right out and say it, but throughout it we can see that he's reminding us that the the gospel totally erodes this self-centered mindset, that there's no room for it any longer. And because it erodes it, it now allows us to live as a brother in Christ. So when we talk about gospel relationships or gospel-centered relationships, We're talking about how Jesus is at the very foundation of those relationships. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because he's paid the price that we could not pay, we are now able to not only know him and be called his son and daughter, but we're also able to call one another brothers and sisters in Christ if if we've received Jesus as our Savior. So let's dive in and read, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. Paul says, Brothers, If anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So Paul has just gotten done talking about the life in the spirit and the fruit that this produces in chapter five. Instead of Paul continuing to talk about the fruits of the spirit, he now moves into more practical advice about what our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ should look like if we are led by Christ. And and in this text, Paul tells us that healthy gospel relationships are characterized by two main responsibilities. The first Gospel relationships confront sin in other believers in a spirit of gentleness. Let's read verse 1 again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The, The focus of this passage isn't what the person is called in, but rather the believer's response to the person's sin. And so Paul says, those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are growing in their relationship with Christ and are are being led by spirit and as a result are are producing fruit, 
Regardless of your age, you need to understand you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to the other brothers and sisters to confront their sin. But Paul doesn't say confront every single sin that you see your brother commit. And then be the sin police and sound the sin alarm and then come up to him and go, hey, listen, I saw you roll your eyes. And if you don't do, if you do it again, I will punch your eye. All right, well, don't do that because that, that won't be good either. Or, or you don't go, hey, I, saw, I heard you slip up on this word and I need to get confront you and get in your face. Paul doesn't say that to do it to every sin. Why? Because First Peter tells us that love covers over a multitude of sins. Rather, Paul uses a key word to really set the parameters on the sins that we're called to confront in, in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that key word is cult. That word indicates that the sin goes much deeper than the occasional slip up. Uh, This sin has ensnared our our brother and it's become a pattern in his life and he just keeps being dragged back in over and over again into it. You know, about 10 years ago, uh, I went on a bachelor party with, for a good friend of mine who's now a pastor and we decided for his bachelor party, we were going to go raft the Nantahala. Great idea, right? And so we are paddling down this river and everything's going great. Um, no, nobody's fallen out yet. And right before your, your takeout spot, there, there's the last rapid that you're going to come, come up to. And you can pull over to the side and take this trail up and look at the rapid and see, oh goodness, it ends in a little waterfall going over. And so, which to me looked like Niagara Falls. I'll just be honest. And so instead of going, okay, like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and just walk our, our fun yaks over our little rafts and, and then just call it a day. We decided, no, we are going to shoot this thing. And so we get back in our rafts and everything is going awesome. Everything's moving like warp speed. And then it comes time to hit the, the waterfall again, Niagara Falls. And so I, I, dis, I accidentally take the wrong angle because I take the wrong angle that undertow, um, sucked my raft in and then sucked me in and it kept kind of sucking me back in, spitting me out for me to grab a breath and then sucking me back under. And I'm thinking, Jesus, here I come. All I need is to hear the angels and I know I'm on my way. And then I look over in in the corner of my eye and I see a real kayaker, um, probably just laughing at me. And he's just sitting there and he decides to throw a rope to me. And he yells out, hey, don't fight it. It will spit you out and just hold on to this rope. And he started pulling a little bit. And sure enough, that rapid, that waterfall spit me out. And this is what Paul is saying is this person is stuck in sin. He's ensnared to it. And even if he tries to get out, get out, it keeps pulling him back in. And sometimes he may not even be aware of it. But Paul says, it's our job as brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of us who are being led by the spirit to confront them and to restore them. This is exactly what James says in James 5. If you flipped over there, we would see James says in in chapter 5, verse 19, he said, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, and let's just be clear, this person is, is already saved. He's a brother, once saved, always saved. This brother though has, because you've gone after him, he has repented and he's coming back with you. He says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. James tells us we've got a responsibility to our brothers. And you see, when you confront, you're confronting that person about a specific sin. 
that, that's a responsibility. But when, when you are also restoring, restoring requires you to use, uh, it may even require to use church discipline that we see Jesus talking about in Matthew 18. And the thing about church discipline is while it's never um, fun and it can get messy, church discipline is always supposed to be positive and uplifting to the brother you're going to. You're never trying to beat him down. And we confront sin and we'll use church discipline because our hope is that they will realize the sin that they're walking in and they'll repent. And so I know that when we hear those words, though, that we're called, our responsibility is to confront sin that may cause a lot of friction because it can also imply that word judge. And I believe it causes friction because in our world today, we are told that, hey, everything is tolerated. You cannot judge. And if we're not careful, we'll allow that mindset, that, that reasoning of you cannot judge me to enter into gospel relationships, and that will destroy gospel relationships. Because when a brother comes out of care and out of concern and gentleness to that brother and confronts him of a sin, that person that's using the argument will say, hey, stiff arm, hey, listen, you cannot judge me. And they'll conveniently go to one verse that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged. And a person that uses this argument, a brother, that kind of gives the stiff arm, when you're coming in love, ultimately is saying, I really right now don't care about my sin, or, or maybe I'm, I don't call it sin. If he uses that argument, but then if you look further down in Matthew 7, 5, you realize what they've missed when they use that argument. Jesus would say, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So are we called to judge our brothers? Yes, but remember what Paul said. The only way you can do this in the right manner is first examining yourselves, first examining your life, and then because you've examined your life, it makes sure that the motive in which you're going to your brother is not out of pride. It's not out of this holier-than-thou attitude. You're just coming to beat them down and let them know how they messed up. But it's a, it's a spirit out of love that compels you to go. And you go to them and you say, listen, brother, I love you so much. I can't let you go down that path any longer. I can't let you see, see you wreck your life any longer. So I'm coming to confront you and to help pull you out. Restoration's goal is all about repairing them to who Christ has called them to be. And that's what that word restore literally means. It means to repair and is often used when we're talking about broken bones. And I'm sure some of you have broken a bone before, maybe multiple ones. Um, But my first broken bone um, came two years into student ministry, and it happened when I was playing basketball with my students of all things. And so I'm going up for a layup, and, and let's just be honest, um, as I'm going up for the layup, guys, you can relate. My theme, th- theme song is, I believe I can fly, because I'm seeing Michael Jordan images in my mind. And if, guys, you haven't heard that, you're just not, you're not being honest with yourself, because it makes us feel like we can jump, and really, though, we're only getting like a foot off the ground, and that was me. And so right as I'm pushing off, my ankle collapses. It just gives out. And I heard the pop and I knew it was probably a broken bone. But we go to the doctor and the doctor confirms it. And after talking to the doctor, I realized that there's no such thing as a quick fix. Like you've got to wear that sweet RoboCop, you know, boot that, that gives you a sweet little limp. Um, you've got to wear crutches. You've got to stay off your feet. 
Um, and then you've got to go to physical therapy, which just for me, physical therapy, I've never been to boot camp, don't want to, but physical therapy is like boot camp to me uh, because I'm dying afterwards. But the thing that we all experience with a broken bone is that there, there is no quick fix. A broken bone takes time to heal. And if you try to rush it, you're going to set yourself back or do more damage or it may even require surgery. And so those of us, Paul says, who are being led by the Spirit, we need to understand when we're trying to restore, it's going to take time. There's no such thing as a quick fix. But man, that goes against how we want things to happen. And the thing about a quick fix is really it's all about behavior modification. It's all about read this book and, and, and you won't have any more problems. You won't struggle with this or, or do these five steps and your life is, is so much better. And while they may work for a little bit, they won't ever last. They'll go fall right back into the same trap that they were stuck in earlier. And that's because behavior modification at the root of it is, is always about the outside behavior and fixing it. It's never about the heart. But restoration is always about the individual's heart. And because you see that and you understand that, that's why you keep pointing them over and over again back to Jesus because you ultimately know that Jesus is the one who restores. Jesus is the one who can break free or break the chains that are holding them bondage. Jesus is the one who can allow them to experience this abundant life. So our job is to continually point them back to Jesus, the one who can truly restore them. But Paul doesn't just say, hey, you're supposed to confront sin and restore them. He tells us the how in which we're supposed to restore. And that's in a manner of gentleness. That word gentleness is often misunderstood. Because I think people, when they hear that word, they they think it's a sign of weakness. They think it means to be timid or just to be this welcome mat, to be walked over. But gentleness doesn't mean that at all. Gentleness means that you do come in tender and and, and you come in a compassionate manner. But gentleness is also not afraid to speak the truth, even when it may be painful to the one receiving it. Gentleness still leads you to speak that truth, even though you know that, man, it may sting what I have to tell them, what I have to confront them with. And this gentleness can only be shown when we're being led by the Spirit, because it's a fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in in chapter 5. And when we come in gentleness and we've examined our motives, I believe that's when the the excuses of the other believer begin to fall away because they know our heart behind why we're coming. And so with this responsibility, though, Paul tells us comes a responsibility uh, to those, or comes a warning to those of us who are being led by, by the Spirit. The first warning is that when confronting sin, guard yourself. The the brother that comes to that other brother who's entrapped in the sin, that that thinks he is better than the sin, that, hey, this isn't really my cup of tea, I've never struggled with this, or I'm super spiritual, really is setting themselves up for failure to fall into the exact same trap as the brother they're trying to free. Why? Because that brother is prideful, and pride will never guard Put up guards to protect yourself. But Paul says you need to protect yourself. You need to keep your head on a swivel because you know the enemy is waiting to pounce. He's waiting to steal, kill, and destroy. So you guard yourself, Scripture would tell us, by putting on the armor of God. 
So we have to guard ourselves from pride. And if we understand this responsibility that we have to our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we have to ask the question, what's holding us back from getting into the mess? Like, is it our pride that says, you know what, they've, they've got their own problems, I've got mine. They got themselves into that, they need to learn the lessons, pay the price, and, and, and then, they'll, then they'll get on their way. Or, you know what, I've got, I've got my own life, I'm busy, I can't help them. Or is it that we've just misunderstood the meaning of love our brother? Because Jesus said, this is how you're, they're going to know you're my disciple, by how you love, and love always compels us to go to our brother who's stuck in sin and goes, brother, I love you. You cannot stay here any longer. And that's just the first responsibility though. Paul tells us there's a second responsibility. And it's that gospel relationships carry one another's burdens in humility. Let's read again verses two through five in Galatians six. It says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So Paul reminds us in this text that there are burdens that each of us will carry in this fallen world that we were never meant to carry alone. And yes, Jesus says, cast all of your cares upon him. And he is big enough to carry those loads. But God also uses the people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to help carry that load. If we were to actually go and look at Acts, Paul tells us of a time where God sent him Titus to help carry the burden that he was walking through. So if we are being led by the Spirit, we now have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters who are carrying this heavy load to go and carry it with them. And let's be real. I mean, you're not going to carry a load that isn't yours. You're not going to elevate that other person above yourself unless you first humble yourself. And these burdens aren't always bad things. They could be simple life responsibilities all the way to tragedy. It could be a home remodel that takes three months and sends your family into chaos. It could be a sickness or a death. It could be a wayward child or financial problems or or marriage problems or the adoption process or or the foster care process. And and when we bear in these types of burdens, it comes along with it a, a sense of endurance. You can hear it in your word, in the word. And so what we're saying is that when we bear, we're in it for the long haul. We're not just in it for a season and go, okay, well, I kind of walked them through a little bit and now I'm out. No, Paul says you're in it till the end, till when the load gets lightened, until when the load gets removed. You're in it to help carry the load, to split the load, to make it easier for them. And that may mean that you sit and just listen. It may mean that you pray for them, that, that you encourage them with your words. That, that you babysit so that they can just get their head above water, maybe even be able to go and do errands. It may mean that you physically help or you take one or two meals to them. But I want to speak to that one praying for them. Because I think that there are times that that is all we can do. Because we're not close to the situation that they're walking through. We don't have a level of intimacy with that brother or that family that would allow us to walk with them. And so that's all we can do and should do is pray for them. 
However, if we're not careful, we'll use that powerful phrase, I will pray for you, as an excuse to say that we've done our part. Like, okay, I've said I'm praying for them, and then I'm just going to go along my way. But Paul says, no, if you actually know them, and, and you have an intimacy with them, and you know that burden, then you have a responsibility as their brother to carry the load with them. And along the way, pray for them. And if I'm honest with you, as a minister, I I struggle with this. Because there's often that I'll say, I'm going to pray for you. And then I begin to ask that question, is that enough? And and maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've wrestled with that and you've asked that question. And, And I think that's a good thing to ask because you're going, okay, I get I'm supposed to pray for them. But is there a need that needs to be met? Is there a burden that I should be carrying while I'm praying for them? On the flip side, though, I know that there are people that have walked through hardships, have carried loads, or you're currently carrying a load, and you just get frustrated or tired of hearing those words, I'll pray for you. Uh, First of all, let me tell you, don't be. Don't, Don't get frustrated, but take hope and find encouragement that you have brothers and sisters in Christ that are going before the creator of the universe on your behalf. Be encouraged by that. But then second, and this may be a little bit more hard to swallow. Have you ever thought that the reason why they say those words, let me pray for you, is because that's all they know how to do because you've never let them into your life. Because in order to carry a burden, the burden carrier has to be vulnerable. There's no way I'm going to know the load that you're carrying unless you become vulnerable and you become open which means that we as brothers and, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we better become very good at calling out fire in our life. And I've used this analogy before, and I'll use it again, but if you were to drive home today and see your house on fire, you would immediately call the fire department, and then you would probably go around to your neighbors and ask them for help. You, you wouldn't go up to them and go, hey, that's sweet, let it burn. Because, man, you've got memories in there. You've got possessions in there. This is where your family does life. You're going to cry out for help. You're going to cry fire. In the same way, when we're walking through struggles, when we're walking through heavy burdens that we're just being crushed by, we got to be good at calling out fire. we got to be good at saying, hey, I'm on fire. My marriage is in trouble. Hey, I've got a wayward child. I need help. I need some guidance. Hey, I've got financial issues and I'm in debt above my eyeballs. I need some help. I need some wisdom and somebody to speak into this area of my life. We have to become vulnerable. And and when we become vulnerable, it also means that we have to walk in community. For us, these past five months, um, we've been blessed with a new addition with Finley Mack into our house. But we've also walked through my oldest son having a hole in his eardrum and having to have a patch in it. And so it's been a a great time, but also a trying time. And we couldn't have made it without our church family walking around us and supporting us and bringing us meals and praying for us. Uh, But God has also given us families um, to babysit for us so that we could get painting done or so we could do electrical work because the Lord knows I would be fried up in the attic right now if I had to do it myself. Don't know how, and so I try not to do it. Um, But we've had families that are praying for us and just rallied around us. And I can't even begin to express how much lighter that made our burden. Knowing that we had families, 
brothers and sisters in Christ that were there to carry the load and say, hey, we're here for you to talk to. We're praying for you. We're here to babysit your kids so you can get refreshed. It made the load lighter. And here at the Brook, we have missional communities. And these missional communities are all about doing life with you. And so that if you face a struggle, they're going to help carry the load. But you can't expect them to be perfect. Because no one's going to be perfect. There's going to be times where where they miss out on maybe carrying the load. But they're there to hopefully walk with you and carry the load and to support you and to pray for you. And to meet a physical need if it needs to be met. But to carry the load requires you to be vulnerable. It requires you to call out fire. And it requires you to walk in community. And what happens? When we as a church family, we begin to carry the load, Paul says that's when you fulfill the law of God, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what he says in Galatians 5, 13 through 14. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no greater way to show the love we have for our brothers than to humble ourselves and to say, let me serve you. Let me carry your burden with you. But Paul moves from the second responsibility into the second warning that we have to pay attention to, to those who are being led by Christ. And it's this, guard yourself from thinking you are something. Both of these warnings and cautions to those being led led by Christ are rooted in pride. Because he knows, as we said earlier, that pride is the one that's going to destroy gospel relationships. And, and this brother, in the second warning, believes that he is something, that he has arrived spiritually, that he's holier than thou. Or maybe he's too important or too busy to stoop down and help the brother in need and to carry that burden. Why? Because he's prideful. And that pride leads him not to act. But that pride also leads him to measure his righteousness against his brother's. It's a great comparison game, right? I mean, it allows that brother to boost his ego, but also to build his righteousness uh, uh, and compare it against his brothers and go, man, look at me, I'm I'm pretty righteous because I, I don't suffer or struggle or carry those burdens like that brother does. And that type of person has missed the gospel altogether because we know that the gospel doesn't call us to be something, but it requires us to be nothing. And you can't help but see this when you begin to look at how, what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived. And when you begin to put your life against the backdrop of our saviors, you go, oh yeah, I do have a responsibility to humble myself and to serve. And so the question then leads to how do you guard against that pride that would creep in and want to destroy you and your brother? Well, Paul would tell us that you humbly test and examine your life. And this is where verse 4 and verse 5 connect together. When we see that, it helps us understand that when we are reading 1 through 5, Paul never contradicts himself. When he says in verse 2 to carry your brother's burdens, but then he goes down in verse 5 and he says to bear his own load. Because the burdens he's talking about and the load in the Greek are two totally different meanings. We are to carry our brother's burdens, those heavy loads. But in verse 5, the load that he's talking about, it actually is used to talk about a very light backpack. And we've all carried a backpack at least 
for a little bit. I know in college I stopped carrying books altogether, sadly, but we're called to carry this light backpack. And because it's light, it's a load that we carry. We don't ever take our backpack and say, hey, somebody, can you get in the other strap and carry it with me? It's light enough for us to carry. And so Paul is saying, in the midst of your responsibility to your brother, don't miss that God has given you duties and responsibilities. He's called each of you to specific things that you are responsible before God to follow through and to see through to the end. And we do these duties and responsibilities out of faithful obedience. And because we do it out of faithful obedience, it's then that we can boast. We have a reason to boast then because we know we passed the test. We know we've honored God with our lives and, and we've done what he's called us to do. But this boasting isn't in of ourselves, but it's what Jesus is doing in and through us. John Stott in his commentary to Galatians, he would put it this way. So we are to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for a man to bear alone. But there is one burden which we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to because it's a pack light enough for every man to carry himself. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. Each man will have to bear his own load. And so I think if we were to sum up what Paul was saying this morning in a nutshell, it'd be that the family of God, that gospel relationships should be known as being first responders. I mean, when you think about a first responder, they go in right after a natural disaster. They, they don't wait till everything, all the chaos has been removed and all the questions have been answered, all the rubble's been taken out and electricity's back on. No, they dive into the mess. They begin to lift brothers up out of the rubble. They begin to clean up. They begin to physically meet needs and encourage them and they restore people in a country that have been destroyed and lost so much. And in the, in the same way, this is what we should be known for. Gospel relationships should be known as first responders. That when we see a brother walking through a sin and is entangled in this sin, we don't go, ah, you've got issues, you'll learn from them. We should be diving into the mess to go, I love you so much, you can't keep doing that anymore. And we should pull them out. And when we see a brother that's carrying a heavy load, we don't just go, well, they got their, they've got this load and I've got mine. So let them carry it. But rather we humbly submit and surrender and we go and we carry that load with them until the end. And along the way, we encourage, we pray for them. And most importantly, as a family, we always fight for one another. Just as the beginning or, or the foundation of gospel relationships is Jesus the end goal of gospel relationships is Jesus. It's, it's our desire that they would see Jesus and that they would know him and that they would be set free from this bondage and experience this, this life that only Jesus can give. The end goal is that they would look more like Jesus. So today, let me ask you, is there someone that you need to start walking with? I mean, is there someone right now that you know, a brother in Christ, that God has given you a relationship with that you should be confronting their sin in a manner of gentleness and because you love them? Is there somebody that you know is walking through a heavy load that you know they're trying to walk alone and you're going, they were never meant to. I need to go and carry that load with them. 
But maybe there's someone here today that you're carrying a heavy load and, and your response needs to be, I'm going to call out fire. I'm going to be vulnerable and let my brothers and sisters know how they can carry the load with me. May it be that we as a church family, may it be that we at the Brook are known for how we love one another, that no one can question it because our actions are evident. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we... Um, we just ask that you would search us or this morning and that you would show us maybe where pride has gotten in the way from us diving into the mess and helping a brother in need from confronting their sin in a manner of love and gentleness or where our pride has gotten in the way of actually humbling ourselves and carrying a brother's load. God, I pray that this morning that you would show us if there is somebody that we need to confront, if there's somebody that we need to go and and carry the load with. Father, I pray if if there's someone here this morning that their life is on fire, that, that they would hear that truth that Paul said this morning, that they were never meant to carry these heavy loads alone. That's why you've given us this family to help carry the load, to make it lighter, and along the way, continue to point them to Jesus. So God, we just ask that in these next few minutes, Lord, that you would examine our hearts, Lord, that you would give us boldness to speak truth and love, Lord, and that we would be a family that is known for how we love one another. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.